sorry I don't love you A friends have grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back, as is Becky Kovach, and we are talking all about Fight Club today. We're going to be discussing both the book and the movie, but before we dive into the book, which is the source material, Becky, how did you consume Fight Club? For me, I know I saw the movie first and then read the book, which is backwards from how I usually like to do things. Like I'm literally just holding Stephen King movies in my Netflix list so I can possibly read the books before watching them. But I don't know how much longer I will be able to wait to watch Gerald's game here. <laughs> yeah, I'm I mean I'm the exact same way. I always prefer to read a book before I see a movie if possible. Um I was trying to think about this uh earlier and I really don't remember which came first for me in this case. Okay. I want to say I watched the movie first too and then went back and read the book, but I couldn't say that for sure. Do you recall if you did that in like close succession to one another? So that's why it's so hard to remember or do you just not remember because it was so long ago? Probably a little bit of both. I it was definitely back when I was in when I was in high school, which at this point was it feels like almost a lifetime ago. Um but also, I think I, I kind of read the book and watched the movie around the same time. So that's that's probably a huge part of it. Yeah. And I just remember watching the film first because it was so unusual for me. And I was like, I, I don't really like doing this, but I'm going to do this. <laughs> but on that note, why don't we go ahead and dive into some discussion on the book? And the book is written by Chuck Polinick. Apparently, that is how you pronounce his last name, and I have been saying it wrong ever since I've been saying it. So there Same. is that. I apologize. Learn something new today. Yeah, it's not like I have, you know, seven books on my shelf that are written by him or anything like that. Yeah, I, I don't know that I have seven, but I've definitely got a handful, and I have never pronounced his name right, apparently. So same boat. Yeah, luckily for me, it's like, eye level from my desk when I'm sitting down. So I could have easily counted that just now. <laughs> I, was, I didn't have to make a guess. I was like, oh, let me eyeball this over here. But Fight Club is one of his books that just sort of got eaten up by pop culture. And, you know, I have a Fight Club poster in my room. So <laughs> I definitely oh. love the book and the film. But for me, I think what it was about the book was just the way he digs deep into his characters, and he is certainly not afraid to get gruesome. And I know that for me, I've read multiple of his books, and I believe you have as well. So he definitely yeah. has a style of writing that is well suited to a story like this. And the book came out, I want to say, in 1996. So I certainly wasn't reading it when you know I turned four years old or anything like that. No. It was much, much later in life. <laughs> Yeah, about 15 years later, I guess, <laughs> maybe a little bit less for me. Yeah. But yeah, um, I've, I've read a few of his books. Fight Club is definitely my favorite. It's also, I, I don't know why I ended up reading it or, or watching the movie, because it's something that's kind of out there for me in terms of content and, and his style of writing in particular is very different than most of the stuff I read. Yeah. 
like you said, it, it is pretty gruesome and, and his work in general can be fairly gruesome. Um, and that's stuff that I tend to steer away from because I get, I get very squeamish and I'm kind of a baby about everything <laughs> remotely gross. So this was a weird one for me. Yeah, I remember in high school, someone let me borrow their copy of Invisible Monsters. So that was actually the first book I had read by him. But I was so intrigued by his writing that I sort of just wanted to consume everything he did. And I have read some of his books, maybe only one or two in ebook format. So I haven't quite made my way through the seven I have on my shelf, but I've definitely read, you know, at least four or five of his books. So I have a good feel for his writing style and the fact that I just want to keep reading more of his stuff. It's sort of like how I feel about Stephen King books. And since you know, those might not be quite up your alley. I'm just curious, what really brought you in with what about Fight Club really brought you into his writing? I guess Maybe it was the fact that it is so different for me and his writing is so different than just about anything else I've ever read. I'm I'm pretty sure I saw the movie first now that I think about it because I love Edward Norton. Makes sense. (laughs) So I, I think I ended up watching the movie and then afterwards I ended up reading the book because I wanted to see how closely the movie followed the book. You know, it's probably one of the best film adaptations of of a book it stays pretty true to the story um but i think it was more just the story itself that kind of drew me in and the fact that i wasn't prepared for the way it ended and for the revelation at the end that tyler durden is the narrator's like not alter ego but sort of he's like a split personality yeah for him and I find those stories so interesting because for Substream's 31 Days of Halloween, I had gone back and watched The Secret Window, which is a similar premise. Johnny Depp's character is a writer and he has a split personality that he has no memory of, really. And for Fight Club, you know, he's so engrossed in trying to sort of figure out who this guy is and then in the end it hits him that oh it's me that sort of thing and I think that's what makes this a little bit maybe easier for anyone who isn't into sort of the more gruesome stories and everything like that to get through because there's something deeper it's not just you know like a straight horror story that's trying to scare you or gross you out or anything like that it really hits on a psychological level too, because you have all these things unraveling as the book goes on and it's just really well done. And I think it's really well paced as well. Yeah. It, yeah. And I guess the fact that it was this split personality was something that I didn't see coming at all. Yeah. And any, any book that can surprise me to that extent, I immediately love. Plus the book isn't super long or anything you know as someone who reads Stephen King books his books are (laughs) insanely long and you know this too with reading the Dark Tower series and everything and you know I had recently read The Stand and I was like I don't know if this book's ever going to end but I don't necessarily know if I want it to either because I was like okay all of these characters are here and there's so many people to keep track of and I am going to try my best to keep everything straight with this book and 
you know, that book, it has a slower pace to it, but everything comes together in the end. But this being so short, it's like, you know, a one-two punch with it. And, you know, being Fight Club, yes, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, it it's a very quick read, which is nice. Sometimes you just want to sit down and and finish a book in a day. And this is something that you can kind of do that with. Yeah. Which is why I've, I've gone back to it several times and, and reread it. But yeah, the, the pacing is great because it doesn't feel like there's any real filler in the novel. It, everything that happens is planned out perfectly. Yeah. See, you mentioned rereading it and I'm not really someone who rereads books a whole lot. That's probably simply because of the fact I have probably like a hundred unread books in my room that I should get to before, you know, spending time reading something I've already read. But what is it about a book or more specifically this book that just makes you want to keep consuming it, whether it's rereading the book or, you know, we'll talk about the film later or rewatching that or something? Yeah, I can't really say. <laughs> I actually, I love rereading books. Okay. And maybe it's the fact that um, once I've read it one time, I know what's going to happen. I can go back and kind of pick up on things that maybe I didn't notice before. I also, I, I love being able to see all of the little foreshadowing and all of those little details that like, maybe I didn't pay too much attention to that all of a sudden they have that much more significance because I know where things are headed. Yeah, that's true. I guess because I had watched the movie first. It's like you kind of go into the book knowing what's going to happen <laughs> already yeah. at that point. And I know you did too. But there's always something about the books that just is able to elaborate a little better than I think a film does. And there's plenty of things that film can do better because it's a visual medium too. And I think what Chuck has here with the book, it's just adding to the movie if you watch the movie first and if you don't watch the movie first and read the book first instead there's still something to be had by watching the movie so i feel like this combination of the source material and the adaptation just works so well together yeah i definitely agree with that you know i i've seen movies that were really horrible adaptations of their books yes <laughs> and it just kind of ruins all of it for me. Right. But these two work really well together because the, the great thing about reading a book is you get insight into a character's mind and what they're thinking that you don't necessarily get when you're watching them on a screen. But then, like you said, films give you that visual component that you don't get from the book. So th these two in particular work very well together. Exactly. So for me, you, you mentioned this book being a quick read, and I really do feel like most of his books are quick reads simply because of how he writes and the flow that he has with the stories that he tells. So in Fight Club, you have Edward Norton, who is narrating the whole thing. And, you know, Tyler Durden is really the personality that we're seeing or, you know, reading in the book. What do you think of that sort of push and pull between the narrator and Tyler Durden throughout the entirety of the book? I mean, I think it's really well done. Um, the way that the two kind of play off of each other. Um, it was, I mean, it was able to throw me off and, and make it so that I had no idea that they were going to end up being the same person. 
it's just kind of interesting to see the two sides that exist within somebody because you do have the narrator who is just this kind of quiet, meek, cookie cutter kind of person. He, I mean, in the, I can't remember if this is just the movie or if it's the book too, but he's got his apartment filled with like Ikea furniture and stuff that he orders out of catalogs. And it's just kind of like, this is the, quote unquote American dream uh, minus having a family but then you have Tyler Durden who's the anarchist and who in the movie dresses in these very flashy kind of out there outfits and just it kind of shows the duality within people. Yeah and that comes across really well in the book too I would say because you know the narrator is sort of just your everyday average person who happens to have insomnia basically and that insomnia is part of what makes Tyler Durden so interesting too because you know obviously insomnia is not a great thing to have I would imagine because you are just up for hours on end and you know at a certain point that can cause delusions and everything and I'm guessing that's really what the narrator thinks is going on or he truly does think that Tyler Durden is an actual person at times too he's not aware that he's sort of just this figment of himself and you know it's obvious that he can see Tyler Durden but no one else can so then he just sounds like he's totally losing control too yeah it's I think one of my favorite parts of the movie is when he starts to think back on all the instances where he thought Tyler was there. And then you see it with his realization that Tyler wasn't there. Like the, the one scene that really sticks out is there's the, they're sitting in the back of the bar, like in the parking lot behind the bar. And he goes to pass a beer to Tyler. And the first time you see this scene happen Tyler's there, he takes the beer, he takes a drink. But then when you're looking back at it and he's realizing that Tyler and him are one person, beer just kind of falls to the floor. Yeah. And why don't we actually dive into the movie a bit more here? Because you have two great leads in the movie in Edward Norton and Brad Pitt. And then you have, you know, Meatloaf in the movie and Jared Leto is in the movie as well. Plus, you have Helena Bonham Carter, who is excellent in the movie, in my opinion, and she really knows how to sort of just take a certain kind of character and bring them to life on the screen. What did you think of the casting choices? And again, you know, this came out in 1999, so I don't think either of us were were watching this while we were small children. (laughs) Um, Well, like I said earlier, I. I think I watched the movie first just because I love Edward Norton. Right. Um, So obviously I was really stoked on that casting. I mean, Brad Pitt is Brad Pitt. Can't really go wrong there. And then, like you said, Helena Bonham Carter is really good at just kind of embodying a character. And I think in particular, she's really great at crazy, which in the case of Marla, Marla Singer worked out really well. Yeah. And of course, Jared Leto is also sort of this, showy character and everything like that and it's really interesting how well they did with this because like you said not all adaptations work and I feel like 
as far as adaptations go, this one was probably pretty out there for the 90s. And it's one of those things where I feel like most of Chuck's stories might not do so well on the big screen because you have things like Haunted, where there's so many different aspects to it that that would just be, you know, too crazy to do. And Haunted is also just a really horrifying <laughs> book. I didn't even finish it. I had to stop. I couldn't keep going. That is one of the ones I finished. But then you have you know, his book Stranger Than Fiction, which I believe was also adapted. So he is another one like Stephen King, who will have a bunch of books that work well on film, and then some others that maybe don't. And, you know, that's no fault of the writers, I would say, because they are around to write books. And if someone takes something of theirs and tries to put it on the big screen, and it doesn't work, I'm not necessarily going to fault the writer by any means. But I think because of how the book was written, it really lent to having this movie come out as well as it did. Yeah. And the movie definitely has like a cult status following at this point, I feel like, which just kind of is a testament to how well done it was, Um, especially because at this point, it's been, what, 20 years since it came out? Almost 20. Yeah. I feel like there will certainly be a lot of 20th anniversary pieces written about this around the internet. <laughs> yeah, I would not be surprised. And I will probably read a lot of them. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if you wrote a couple of them yourself. I might have to do that. So, you know, <laughs> let me just plan my life out two years in advance here because <laughs> it came I'm... out October 15th, 1999. So, you know, pretty close to uh, exactly two years here. Well, not super close, but whatever. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like there are just so many things I love about Fight Club. We could probably be here all day if or all night in our case if we go over <laughs> everything about it. But what I find really interesting, too, is how well the movie still holds up because I feel like people are still watching Fight Club like all the time. Oh, yeah, I have it on DVD. Yes, we do as well here. I'm actually pretty sure my parents haven't watched it, or at least my mom hasn't, and I keep trying to get her to, so maybe uh have to rewatch a movie for once. <laughs> do you not rewatch movies either? I'm really bad at I'll do it for the podcast if it's something where I there's no way I would remember like what I was talking about. So like for example, I'm supposed to do an episode on the first three X-Men movies and there is no way I remember most of what happened in the first three oh, X-Men God, movies. Yeah. <laughs> so I am certainly going to have to rewatch those, but typically I am of the opinion that there are so many things for me to consume that I don't always want to just rewatch things even though I really really love them. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm just, I'm the kind of person who I'll get stuck on like a movie or a song and that'll be all I watch or listen to for weeks at a time. Yeah. Which was me with Fight Club when I first discovered it. Yeah. See, the only thing I really consume multiple times is music because I feel like that that's sort of just a given, I guess. I mean, it would really be hard to listen to a song once and never hear it again. Yeah. And then it's like, what's the fun of that? Because then you're never going to know the words to any songs. So, you know, music is obviously an exception to my very strange rule that I have. <laughs> <laughs> what, how did you feel about Meatloaf in 
the movie transitioning from music into <laughs> meatloaf back into fight club you know at the time that i watched it i probably wasn't like super aware that it was meatloaf i'm sure it was there in the back of my mind but i was just so into the movie that i didn't even care i was like this is wonderful and you know meatloaf has been in quite a few different things like he's popped up in shows that i watch here and there i think he was in an episode of elementary and stuff so i don't think it was really you know a surprise to me that a musician would be in something like this because one you also have jared leto in this so this movie is certainly weird enough to where nothing surprised me really yeah that's fair jared leto as an actor is weird to me sorry (laughs) no it's totally fine because i kind of feel the same way about him like Jared Leto as the Joker did not sound appealing to me, but in this, I I feel like he works way better in this movie. Yeah. But this was also, like you said, almost twenty years ago. So he, I feel like he wasn't quite as weird as he is now. Like he seems pretty strange because I heard and read some articles about like what he did when he was method acting as the Joker, and I, I was like, no, no, thank you, please stop. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely saw some stuff and I was like, that's a little bit too much. But yeah, like you said, this was almost 20 years ago. So it was kind of, he was much younger back then. And I feel like he was kind of just getting started in entertainment, like as a whole. Yeah. And I feel like for Brad Pitt, this is sort of a really good stretch for him because he had, you know, seven in 95 and then he just went you know meet joe black being john malkovich although he was uncredited in that and then fight club and i feel like you know this is really where he sort of i mean he had been in other stuff before seven obviously but then you go from this to two years later being in oceans 11 and i feel like this is sort of like i don't want to call it peak brad pitt era but i feel like it kind of is it's kind of peak brad pitt era yeah i would, I would agree with that because i wouldn't say he's like a bad actor now or anything by any means but i just feel like he had so many good things going for him like in the late 90s early 2000s to be honest i couldn't really name a whole lot more that he's done other than fight club like for me this is brad pitt yeah and i mean the Oceans movies are kind of hard to avoid, I feel like, because there were yeah. like three of them, I think, that he was in. <laughs> but I haven't watched too much of his recent stuff. Like, I, I think I have the big short saved in my Netflix list to watch at some point. But I feel like if I'm going to watch a Brad Pitt movie, it's going to be something, you know, mid to late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Or Mr. Same. and Mrs. Smith from 2005. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like that's the last thing maybe I really remember seeing him in. Yeah, I don't even know if I saw that. At, like, around the time the movie came out. But he's been in, a, like, a ton of stuff since then. So, you know, this is just us being weird and apparently being... <laughs> I'm. Everyone knows, if they listen to this, that I'm pretty bad at watching movies in general. And if they have paid any attention to my substream column making fun of myself for not having watched all these great movies you know i just did one on fargo recently which i have been in love with the fargo show but i hadn't watched the movie so now a few things make a little more sense in the show (laughs) i i'm not gonna lie i haven't seen the movie or the show when it comes to fargo but see then good things though you're okay then because you didn't start with the show and true 
go watch the movie three seasons into the show. True. So as long as you watch the movie before you watch the show, if you ever do end up watching the show, I think you'll be fine. But back to Fight Club, because I am getting this way off track here. I think, you know, this might be one of my favorite Ed Norton performances, too, because he was in the Hulk. He was the Hulk and it didn't go so well. <laughs> so, you know, everybody he had... hates on that movie, but I actually love it. Sorry. I sorry. I, I love Ed Norton. So anything he does to me is a okay. It's okay. I totally understand that. But being a big comic nerd that I am now, it's one of those movies where if I see it on TV and I like switch to it for a few minutes, I'm just like, mm, I remember <laughs> this. <laughs> But you have to think, too, right before Fight Club came out, he had American History X, which I haven't seen, but it feels like a pretty gritty role in sort of like he was the Tyler Durden of that movie, you know, and we haven't even talked about what Tyler Durden does when Ed Norton as the narrator is blacked out. So, you know, the whole premise of the movie is surrounded by this fight club that literally just happens in basements. And it's one of those things where it's not pretty to watch by any means, but it's shot so well, too. Like, you just feel the grittiness while you are watching this movie. And it, you know, almost feels like you need to go take a shower after this because, you know, it was so, you know, in the dirt, basically, with the Fight Club and everything like that. The way they've shot the movie, just the the colors and the tones that they created visually just match up so well with how dark this this book is and this storyline is for me this movie just really captured the essence of the book and you know i mentioned to you earlier that i have a fight club poster in my room and it literally has the quote on it if we are god's unwanted children so be it and then it just says club underneath and it has like a silhouette of brad pitt's character tyler durden on it and it's wonderful i might have to take a picture and put it in the show notes here (laughs) Yeah. But I really feel like, too, the thing that happened was Fight Club was just pushed to a whole other level after the movie came out. Because I feel like it's one of those things where, yes, the book was good and the book probably did pretty well on its own in 96. But once the movie came out, I feel like it just exploded. And over time, it's sort of been one of those evergreen books and movies that people just keep watching years after its release because if you take a look at the box office numbers you know they had a budget of 63 million and it made 100 100.9 million at the box office so it's like okay yes you made you know a little over 37 million on the movie but in terms of hollywood that's not really a huge number i mean it is to people no. like you and me but you know <laughs> i'll take one percent of that if you guys don't mind but yeah please it's one of those things where i feel like this movie has made so much money after the fact that it's one of those things i feel like people are just going to keep watching it years to come and You know, you have really old movies like Casablanca and things like that that never really seem to disappear, but they certainly 
might not have seemed as popular at the time. Maybe Casablanca is a bad example because that was a pretty big movie when it came out. But, you know, it's just one of those things where you can have these older movies that continue to grow over time. And I think the same thing can be said about Harry Potter. Like what kid wouldn't want to watch Harry Potter? Because I feel like kids are more likely to, you know, be inclined to believe in, you know, the magic and wizardry of it all and everything like that. And, you know, that's something that shaped probably our both of our childhoods, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I still reread and rewatch all of Harry Potter. <laughs> and while I wouldn't say Fight Club is going to be shaping anyone's childhood, <laughs> it's certainly something that, you know, I feel like a lot of teens and college age students are going to pick up on once they, you know, really understand what's going on. And this is way too gruesome for children to be watching. If anyone is listening, don't let children watch this. (laughs) Don't do it. Yeah, please don't. But yeah, no, I definitely feel like you hit a certain age where the themes that they're kind of exploring in the book of like commercialism and just... I mean, the quote that I was looking for is it's only after you lose everything that you're free to do anything. Um, But there's the whole idea of they are trying to just they're trying to destroy the the credit card companies. Right. Like all of the records and everything. They're trying to wipe all of the financial records. It really feels like similar to what. Mr. Robot is trying to do by taking down these big corporations and everything like that. But, you know, for Fight Club. Tyler Durden started this movement and they became Project Mayhem, which is the perfect name for anything that Tyler Durden does because (laughs) mayhem does, in fact, ensue whenever he is around. And like I said, the narrator blacks out and has no memory of anything that happens when he is Tyler Durden. And, you know, that's typically how these things work out because, like I said, when I went back and watched The Secret Window, Johnny Depp's character would just wake up and, you know, never remember anything he had done as his other personality. And it's so well done in this. Like, I feel like out of any movie that I've seen where there's a split personality involved, this is by far one of the most drastic ones, I would say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I I would have to agree with that. I'm trying... What... I'm trying to think what other movies I've seen with like split personalities, if there's anything, any others that are are as well done as this one is. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things where it definitely has to be done right to come across well. And one of the more recent movies I can recall where they tried to tackle this, I believe it was just called Split. And the guy had like something like 27 different personalities or something crazy like that. And I feel like while that is possible in the real world that's something that's really hard to portray in like you know an hour and a half to two two and a half hours depending on how long the movie is because you're trying to fit so many different characters with the same actor in this short amount of time that I feel like you know that would be something that would probably need to be a tv show instead yeah like you said, especially with only having one actor to do it, I think one of the reasons Fight Club is so successful is because it's not like they just kind of took Edward Norton and had him dress up in a different outfit and start acting differently. It's an entirely different person playing the the split personality. 
Yeah, because he would interact with Tyler Durden, or so he thought. He was really just interacting inside his head. But he would, you know, see Tyler Durden in front of him. And so clearly he wasn't fully blacked out. But it's like whenever Tyler Durden really wanted to take over and accomplish something, it's like Ed Norton just wasn't there. His character as the narrator was not present for any of this. So it's almost like Tyler Durden had the power to just knock his other personality out and go, you know, have all of these things happen and have him have no memory of them. Yeah, which is insane. Yeah, and I I really cannot say enough good things about this movie. And I think, you know, it might probably be pretty high up there on my list of favorite movies and like I said I'm pretty bad at watching movies but I feel like I've watched enough to at least have a list of favorite movies so it's not like I've only seen 10 movies ever (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's definitely up there as one of my favorite movies and it's one of my favorite books too which I feel like people always kind of give you shit when you tell them that but I I can't help it I just I've always loved this book Yeah, I really enjoy it too. I guess I've never really put too much thought into what my favorite books would be because it's like, okay, if you really love Harry Potter, do you rank each Harry Potter book or do you just say Harry Potter and everyone just knows you mean Harry Potter as a whole instead of selecting specific books out of the seven, which, you know, that's a lot of Harry Potter to consume, but I feel like that's what made the movie series work well because they had so much source material to pull from. And with Fight Club, you know, you have this shorter book and the film is a little over two hours, I believe. It's like two hours and 19 minutes or something like that, which you figure a good chunk of that is going to be credits. But I feel like for the 90s, that was a little on the longer side because when I go back and watch a movie, I'm like, oh, hey, this movie is only an hour and a half because I'm so used yeah. to movies being like two plus hours these days. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, two and a half hours for, you know, this movie. Why? Yeah, this. And it's kind of amazing that it this movie is on the longer side like that, considering it is such a short, fast paced book. Yeah, I believe, you know, when the hardcover first came out, it was 208 pages. And obviously, that's going to fluctuate a bit based on the various editions because this is certainly one of those books that has had so many different editions and I believe the one I have is the one that came out after the movie had happened so you know it kind of has that movie look to it or something like that and we should also talk about the rules of Fight Club we can't talk about the book and the movie without talking about the rules of Fight Club because we've already broken rule number one and rule and number two. two. <laughs> so the first two rules are you don't talk about Fight Club. So we're just rule breakers over here, I guess. And then, yeah. you know, they, they actually have eight different rules. And it's not even right at the beginning of the book, too, which I think is a nice move because then you, you have some build up to it. And rule number three is when someone says when someone says stop or goes limp, the fight is over. Rule four, only two guys to a fight. Five is one fight at a time. Yeah. Six, no shirt, no shoes. Yes. Seven is the fights go on as long as they have to. And then the last one is that if it's your first night, you have to fight. Yes. So these are quite a few rules to keep track of if you are, you know, 
attending Fight Club. If you're not attending Fight Club, you know, these rules don't really apply to you because theoretically you shouldn't know about Fight Club if you aren't there. (laughs) Yeah, which actually the rules are how the narrator gets caught at work as being involved in the Fight Clubs because doesn't he print them out on like the office printer and his boss finds them? (laughs) Yeah, because... he just does something that's really dumb and you can sort of tell that's going to be one of those moments where things take a turn for the worse, pretty much. And Yeah, and they do. Yeah, and the Fight Club just really continues to grow and grow and grow and it sort of becomes this nationwide thing. And to have something, you know, come up out of someone's split personality and become this nationwide thing is just so crazy to think about because the chances of that happening are probably fairly slim to none, I would say. Yeah. And I think the craziest part is that then the narrator starts trying to track down Tyler Durden and he's flying all over to these different fight clubs in different cities around the country and everybody there recognizes him, which means that he had a hand in starting all of the different fight clubs. Yeah. And when you get to the point where the narrator realizes what's happening he tries to stop Tyler Durden too and that in it of itself is so exhilarating to watch in the movie because you have this moment where it's like the light bulb turns on for him and he realizes everything that has happened up until that point yeah Uh, yeah and we were talking about this a little bit earlier where in the movie it just kind of goes back through all of the previous scenes yeah and you see him realizing that all of these things that he thought that Tyler was there for, it was literally just him. We haven't really talked about Marla Singer too much, but you know, she is basically in this sort of on again, off again, destructive relationship with Tyler Durden, I believe. And, you know, she is probably catching on to things much faster than the narrator is. Well, even she is confused, though, because at one point she calls him Tyler, and that's kind of when the light bulb goes off for the narrator that it's it, it's him. Yeah, and, you know, she knows him as Tyler, so then when he comes to and is acting very strangely, it's definitely confusing for her, but I think, you know, her calling him Tyler in that moment is just like, um okay what is going on (laughs) and yeah for both of them I would say and you know maybe she was catching on here and there because he was acting so strangely after being you know like a totally different person and to him he was none the wiser yeah he had absolutely no idea but I think she's a really good contrast to both Brad Pitt and Ed Norton because she is interacting with these two different actors but she's really only supposed to be seeing ed norton this entire time so she has to play it off like you know and make it believable that these two people really are the same person yeah and i mean she does it so well yeah marla as a character is just a very strange addition to the whole plot because she meets so she meets the narrator at these like cancer support groups Yeah, she like frequents a bunch of different support groups, too. It's like she's not really ever at the same one. She just keeps making up these stories that sort of fit whatever group she's attending that night. 
Yeah, and the one that she meets him at, it's a like a it's staying men together, I think is what it's called. It's like for men who have had testicular cancer. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's Marla. Yeah, and what's really interesting, just looking at the Wikipedia page and everything, she wasn't the first option for this role. And they actually considered quite a few people before settling on her as... Settling. Yeah, because, you know, they had so many people in mind. And then, you know, it says here they had Janine Garofalo... Then they considered Courtney Love and then Winona Ryder. And then they wanted to do Reese Witherspoon in the role, but felt she was too young. And then they (laughs) selected Helena Bonham Carter. So it's like, you know, I I wouldn't say, you know, they were settling in a bad way, but it's like they went through so many different people and then they finally hit her and were like, okay, here we go. (laughs) Yeah, it's just it's funny to think of it as settling because it's Helena Bonham Carter. And and she's such like a a known name at this point. And this role just seems so made for her. Yeah. The thing is, like, the fact that they considered Courtney Love and Winona Ryder, though, I feel like these three women are very similar in the kinds of roles they can play. And I don't know if I I don't know if I would have wanted Courtney Love in this movie to be honest like do we really need another musician in this (laughs) no no i i don't know that i would have liked her in this role and i don't think reese witherspoon would have been yeah that that's the weirdest one i would say (laughs) like that makes no sense to me but then you know seeing that they considered winona Ryder too it's like well what would have happened to winona Ryder if she had gotten this role would she have ever been in stranger things and would that have been okay (laughs) you know no no, it would not have been okay. So, you know, it's funny how things end up working out for a film because we can't really think of anyone else in most of these roles, even something as small as Jared Leto's role. It's like, who else would have fit that as well as he did, considering, you know, how much earlier in his career this was? I don't know if Jared Leto today would be a fit for something like this but it worked at the time yeah him him as angel face was a really good fit back then i don't know that i would have wanted to see him in that role now but then again i also can't really think of who else i would want to see in that role yeah it's just one of those things where sometimes the more you find out about a movie it's like but why would you have ever thought to do that (laughs) yeah because i feel like yeah there's no way I mean, and this isn't a knock on Reese Witherspoon. I just feel like she doesn't have that aspect to her like Helena Bonham Carter does. I don't know that she could pull off the the, the darkness that you kind of needed for that role. Yeah, she is way too legally blonde for this. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. I love Legally Blonde. Yes, fantastic movie. So like I said, it's not a knock on her. I just feel like I watch so many different TV shows and everything like that where sometimes I'll feel like I don't know if this was the right person for this role. But I feel like with Fight Club, it's the opposite. I'm like, yes, all of this makes sense. Perfect sense. Let's run with yeah. it. Every, everything just kind of fell into place really well for this one. Yeah. Well, I know it is getting fairly late for you. And I just want to see if there's anything that we haven't touched on that you want to hit on before we wrap this up 
I feel like for the most part, we kind of touched on everything. I guess just going back to Marla a little bit, the how do you, how do you feel about the relationship that develops between her and the narrator slash her and Tyler Durden? Because like at the end of the movie, it ends with them, you know, standing in this building, watching buildings fall around them. And they're they're like holding hands. And it's almost like this romantic moment between the two of them. Yeah, you know, I feel like with her and Durden, it sort of feels like more of a destructive relationship because of just how destructive Durden is by nature. And then with the narrator, I think she really starts to notice and understand the difference between these two personalities that he has. So I feel like in a way, it's sort of her just understanding which person she is with in that moment. Yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. It's just it's such like a a weird because it it is like she's dating two different people or or sleeping with I don't know that I would call it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it, it is like she's in a relationship of some sort with two completely different people because they, they kind of are, but also it it is technically one person. Yeah. And I feel like that's what makes it so interesting having the two different actors too, because I feel like that final scene when they're sort of just kind of watching the world implode and burn and, you know, general destruction of things. If it were Tyler Durden who were there, he would probably be like cheering and celebrating and not be worried about it. Yeah. So I feel like they could have really had two drastically different endings there. And I actually really love the one they chose to go with. Yeah, I I think that 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 was the right choice. I just don't know if it would have been as satisfying seeing Tyler Durden with her at the end because he really probably wouldn't care that much about her in that moment. He would be so self-absorbed with everything that had happened. Yeah. That yeah, that's that's kind of just who Tyler Durden was and that was one of the starkest contrasts between him and the narrator as the separate personalities is that the narrator I feel like was more aware of the world around him. Yeah, exactly. Well, I am glad that you came on to discuss this because we clearly both really like both the book and the movie. And I just said both quite a few times in this sentence. So, you know, it's it's going to sound sound fantastic. But I really do think this is just so iconic that it's hard not to talk about it. And I can't really believe it's taken me, you know, 61 episodes to get to it. But I have a lot of things to talk about, guys. So many things. Which is why you never rewatch or reread anything. (laughs) Unless it is for podcast purposes. Although I did not do that this time because I just didn't. (laughs) One of these days, we're going to podcast on something that I'll actually have revisited before we podcast. Yeah, I mean, at least when we did season one of American Gods, we had very recently watched it and then done that. But I feel like, you know, that probably went over better than our book episode did because the book episode, we were like, wait, what happened here? Yeah. (laughs) Because that is a much longer book than Fight Club. Fight Club's pretty easy to remember if you've read both the book and the movie. Yes. They really do, especially the movie, it's pretty unforgettable, I would say. Yeah, it's very, very vivid. It's one of those things that you watch it and it kind of just sticks with you. Yeah. And if I hadn't already done an episode on the Harry Potter movies, I would offer that up to you. But (laughs) 
I did that without rewatching the movies too, which might not have been the best move, but that was very early on in the podcast. I'm still learning things as we go here. Darn, that's something that I definitely could have talked about for hours on end because I watch every time there's a Harry Potter weekend on Freeform. We would have had to do eight separate episodes just for you. Yes. <laughs> but hey, the books are still up for grabs. So maybe one day if you can convince me to reread one. I don't even know where my books are. I think I took them off my bookshelf because they took up so much space and I stored them somewhere. <laughs> uh, I think I've read through the series about six or seven times. I have definitely only done so once, so <laughs> you're a little ahead of me, but I'm clearly very off track here again. So I will go ahead and wrap this up now. Thank you so much, Becky, for coming back on. No problem. And to our listeners, as always, thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.